even in the beginning days who would say, oh, I don't connect with your spirituality or it's too traditional for me or it's too norm-breaking for me because I always talked about taboo topics. It could be sex, could be death, could be, you know, tantra. So the taboo topics were well-received, but nobody wanted to pay for it at that time. They didn't want, uh, because, you know, now I can, if I connect the dots, I see maybe... They thought, okay, he's too young. Maybe uh, why should we pay for this? You know, people don't want to pay for spiritual work. They want, they could pay for anything and everything in life, but they don't want to pay for spiritual work. So I was really observing human behavior there. And I realized that it doesn't matter what kind of people are showing up. They could be people with a lot of money or people with no money, but the ones who will pay for this are those who understand the value of their own life and growth. Hey everyone, my name is Sarah and welcome to Her Ascension Story, the podcast that proves the world is transformed by every hero's personal adventure. Here we talk about the real and the raw things that we should all be talking about more. So if you want to be a part of the movement of getting real about the deeper, more meaningful things about life, be sure to subscribe and follow and get ready to get real. My hope is that this platform inspires you to explore and expand new empowering beliefs about yourself so you can make your own impassionate impact too. And those three pillars, inspiration, independence, and impact, aren't just the premise for this podcast, but for my work too. If you want to check out that more, be sure to go to HerAscensionStory.com or check me out on social media at HerAscensionStory. Hey everyone. So Chandrash and I experienced quite a few technical difficulties while recording this episode, but despite all of that, there's still some really good gold in Chandrash's story, and I couldn't bring myself to not publish this. Um, I know that it had a profound impact on me to just listen um, and go through this chat, and I think that it could do the same thing for you. So. Take this, you know, <laughs> with a grain of salt, um, just really try to dive in and forgive any kind of, you know, fuck ups in this. It's a really good episode. Just give it a listen. I hope that you guys find some gold in it too. All right, let's get into it. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited for today's episode. Today with us is Chandrash Bardwaj, who is an author, spiritual advisor, and speaker. His bestseller book and podcast, Break the Norms, presents thought-provoking ideas on how we perceive relationships, sex, spirituality, and all of the other essential aspects of life. With nods from both the Dalai Lama and Dr. Deepak Chopra, Chandrash offers a fresh, trailblazing voice in contemporary spiritual teaching. Currently based in Los Angeles, Chandrash has been long fascinated by the incredible power of the human consciousness and shares that the truth must be realized from within. You can learn more about his work at cbmeditates.com or connect with him on Instagram at cbmeditates, which is how I found him a few years ago and started following him. And it's been such a deeper dive into myself just through exploring his work and following him. So I highly recommend that. And with that said, thank you so much, Chandrash, for being here. It is such an honor to hear your story and to get to share it. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. 
So I really love the work that you do. I've been following you for a few years on Instagram and um, recently kind of started studying with your meditations and um, all that stuff. When you go live, you actually gave me the first um, Sanskrit mantra that had the most profound impact on me. And you have this special way of embracing the divine feminine in all of its complexity in spirituality, which I think is really kind of special um, right now because everything just seems like love and light and all of that. You really bring it home with authenticity. And it's so, um, the authentic presence really makes a difference. So were you always like that in the spirituality, um, like being authentic, or did you have to actually go through certain phases to get where you are now? By the way, that's very, very kind of you to say everything that you said. Uh, Thank you. I feel, Sarah, you know, I have never tried to be in any way. I mean, what you see as authentic work for me, I've simply been trying to do things my way. Uh, I'm glad they show up as authentic, right? I'm glad they show up, you know, in all the great, inspiring and empowering ways to you and others. Uh, But what I have been really trying to do is just sticking to uh, my own fire, my own courage. Uh, What I have been really meditating on pretty much most of my life is uh, you know, embracing the courage to live my truth, to express my truth, and to just bloom in the way that uh, brings me closer to divinity. You know, I grew up in India. I uh, grew up in family of gurus. Uh, thankfully, my you know guru is a very open-minded teacher. So I went. I was exposed to all the you know belief systems, religion. I was never forced. Uh, to stick to Hindu culture or any any form of divinity. I was given the freedom to just dive into whatever shows up uh, as the divine, you know, awareness for me. And for some reason, feeling the pull toward what I call baby consciousness, but what you're calling divine feminine. I feel one of the reasons is because I come from Tantra lineage and Tantra is all about the honoring the divine feminine. So for me, I don't have the specific reason why I started feeling the pull toward divine feminine. But my best guess is that I have been meditating on these tantra goddesses forever. They became the source of my strength, inspiration, courage, poetry. And I I feel somewhere in my heart, I just felt the need to honor them, to spread the, you know, word about them that they are uh, there for you if you re- stay receptive to them also i i you know one of my habits or or tendency as a child was to observe a lot i was not very talkative kid very introvert very shy but you know most introverts observe a lot so i used to observe still observe a lot a lot of human behavior and i clearly saw that uh, when a woman is empowered when you give her the space to flow space to evolve and be creative she changes everything around her but when she's suppressed she's abused that ruins the pretty you know pretty much the entire energy and i have seen examples of strong women in my family i've seen examples of abused you know women around my neighborhood in india and after i moved to usa i've seen that uh, the difference so i started feeling that maybe this is what we need to do 
channeling spirituality to empower the feminine energy, not just in women, but also in men and also around us. So to answer your question, maybe a, a, fa- in a bunch of factors blended in and created the person that I am today. <laughs> I love that. And so I I remember listening to one of your podcast episodes and you said that you went to college um, in America and you started out on Wall Street and you mm-hmm. completely shifted gears. So what actually drew you to embrace the courage to actually make that change? And then um, it wasn't easy too. I remember listening to some of the struggles. Mm-hmm. your talks and stuff like that if you could shed some light on that that would be amazing I would love to hear those stories so my you know uh, love for spirituality was always there that's the only thing I think I've always loved besides you know stories and cinema and stuff I I love good music different languages of music different languages of cinema so besides the a good cinema what I obsessively loved was the the spiritual uh, world you know anything and everything about mantras consciousness tantra that was uh, you know deep part of my heart the reason uh, you know a lot of people feel that getting out of finance into spirituality was taking a different direction but the truth is going into finance was a detour from my natural you know uh, journey i got into finance for no good reason, you know, everyone in my school and college, they were applying for jobs, they, everyone needed a job, and I simply followed that template. There was not much thought put into it. I mean, at that time, I was working very hard to get good grades, to be accepted by some good companies. And uh, I thought maybe I'm moving in right direction. And my intention was to work in Wall Street for a few years and then leave Wall Street and start some sort of, you know, school, a spiritual school after I complete, you know, 20, 30 years of my work in, in finance. That was the whole thing because I also realized that you cannot run a spiritual work on a, on a, on a good scale if you don't have, you know, money in your pocket. It's 20, you know, it's, uh, uh, that was 2009 when I, you know, graduated from college. So I knew that in this age and time, I can't just, think of you know running a spiritual school and have nothing in my pocket so I need to have some financial cushion so that was the reasoning really behind going into finance but after I got into finance I started feeling extremely unhappy uh, stressed out anxiety and I didn't feel this is where I belong and I'm so glad that the way the treatment I was seeing around and also the lack of acceptance or just I, I clearly saw there are departments, there are boxes in the finance industry, just like there are, you know, clubs and groups in every industry, including spirituality, that, you know, if you want to be part of certain group, you have to do the things they like. You have to show them you're one of them. And I when I saw the the whole rules of the game, I realized I don't want to be part of this game. And I decided to leave. And that's when my journey with spiritual work really started. I had no clue what I would be doing in the spiritual field and how exactly I'll be earning my, you know, uh, bread and butter. I had zero knowledge about it, zero clue. Uh, But I was hopeful. And I also 
uh, strongly felt there's nothing else I want to do. So that's what really inspired me. And you are right in the beginning, no one showed up for my dogs. And I shared that with my father. Actually, I didn't share it with my father. He's the one, he's my guru. And he saw me, you know, just feeling depressed and, and anxious and fearful, you know, after I started this work. And he, he asked me, he said, I know you are stressed out. Is it because, you know, people are not coming to your talks? I said, no, I'm fine. You know, the when you're younger, when you know little, your ego is the strongest. When you, when, you know, life experiences happen, you humble yourself. But when they are at the lowest level, that's when you feel you know it all. The ego is at its peak. So when I was, you know, 21, 22, the ego was at its peak. I didn't want to, you know, look fragile or weak in front of my father. So I said, no, I'm fine. I got it all. You don't need to worry about me. And he said, okay, you know, whatever, uh, whatever you feel is right, it's fine. But just so you know, they're not coming because you don't want them to come. When you want them to come, they'll show up. And I was like, what do you mean? Uh, I'm putting down all the, you know, ads and I'm really trying to, you know, do the right online marketing. And he said, I don't know about the marketing, but I can tell you, you don't want to be seen right now. When you want to be seen, they will show up. And he was absolutely right. I didn't want to be seen. I was not sure if I'm qualified enough to do this work, if I'm ready enough to do this work. And uh, that was such a learning lesson. Even when the talks, you know, when people really started to show up, I used to sit in the corner of the room and I used to give talks sitting on a small chair, sit, you know, in the corner. and. I had no clue why I would sit in that corner. I just didn't want to be seen. I, I was like, I know you have to hear me. So just hear me, but don't see me. And I would keep the lights very, very dim. I still keep the lights dim. I like, I think that, uh, that bit of darkness. But in those days, the lights were dim only because I didn't want to be seen. But it, you know, it takes experiences, practices. When, when I started seeing that my work is actually making a difference in people's life, then my wings started to expand. Then I started to feel that I am supported by, you know, some known and unknown forces. And it, it, it's those forces which continue to give me, you know, courage and hope every day and everywhere possible. Um, and I genuinely feel it's not me who's doing the work. There is a higher power who's channeling this work through me. And I'm just grateful that I'm that medium right now. Hmm. I, you hit there. You talked about money and spirituality and how I feel a lot of times people kind of have like that, um, not martyr or beggar complex, but that like you, you can't have a lot of money and be spiritual at the same time. Um, but you definitely, you really shine light on that. And I, I love how you do that, but you also hit a point, um, about the ego strength and how think you know, everything <laughs> like the ego is at its strongest. Do you feel like it was your mm-hmm. ego or, um, just kind of like not feeling ready, um, like on a soul level for your path that like that feeling of not wanting to be seen, or do you feel like you just didn't feel supported by those um, forces yet? Or what really, 
what do you think was the source of that not wanting to be seen um, and not feeling ready and not feeling qualified? Because I remember um, from a different podcast episode, you grew up watching your dad's work and you really got like the inside right? scoop you on know, everything. And it seems like you're just so qualified. Why I didn't feel qualified was my father. He's extremely humble man. And he puts himself in a very, uh, you know, uh, childlike state. You know, he always says that, uh, you know, he's the most ignorant student of spirituality. So I grew up around some very powerful teachers who always said they are the most ignorant students of spirituality. So I knew that they, these, they are like really, really intelligent, profound, wise teachers. But look at their humbleness. And do I have any of that? Am I humble enough? Am I you know, wise enough? Am I, you know, profound enough? And, uh, you know, we struggle with that self-worthiness at that young age, right? I was very young. I was, uh, when I decided to do this, I was 21. <laughs> so I was very young. And that was number one source. Number two, the benchmark was very high. Like, <laughs> uh, my grandfather, he was my father's teacher. He passed away when I was five year old. But I have been hearing, you know, stories of his healing, his wisdom i have memories with him uh, until the years he lived uh, and he's amazing teacher amazing amazing healer and i still you know put flowers on his picture in my altar so the standards were so high and i was like i cannot meet this standard this is too much you know mm-hmm. this is such a high benchmark my father is able to you know predict and read people's energy you know, who are sitting far away. He doesn't know anything about about their background and he's able to just, you know, tell things which are just mind, you know, mind blowing. And I don't have that. And my father would always say, you have been meditating since the time you were like five year old. You have been, you are blessed. So when you walk into this field, you will be supported. But, you know, we just don't have that confidence. So it, uh, and I, I thought of quitting many times, by the way. Uh, when I was not, I was confused about blending the financial, uh, you know, uh, financial success with spiritual success. It was all a lot to handle that. How do I blend both of them? Uh, but And I thought of quitting it and going back to banking. But then I would feel a very clear voice that that's not your jungle. You've got to be here. Just have some faith. So it was really hoping and waiting and witnessing each day as it comes and uh, it was for many years it was just hope and wait and but staying in your authentic voice because there was no other way no other direction the only uh, school of spirituality I have learned is to be authentic and and show up as you are there's no need to put any costume there's no need to show that you're spiritual you don't have to look spiritual, you have to be spiritual. So that was the only mantra that I really, you know, reminded myself that as long as I'm honest and authentic within, it will work. At some point, my voice will be heard. So, yep, that's that's how it has been. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are huge obstacles to overcome, to to really stand tall in all of that. So you talked about blending um, the financial and the spiritual success and how that was kind of a struggle for you. How you know, did you actually that was very um, clear come in to my terms head. with that? I did not have uncomfortable relationship with money. I respected money. Uh, you know, in, in the Eastern traditions, we look at money as 
uh, a form of divine energy. The goddess Lakshmi is known as the goddess of wealth and abundance. And I was very sure that I don't want to sell spirituality. I don't want to be a salesman. I don't want to be, you know, just putting this out there. I want the work to speak itself. And that's what will decide if I can financially grow in this or not. But I wanted it to happen in the most organic way. And uh, I would come across people who loved the work from day one. So one thing I want to share with you, the work was loved and accepted from day one. There was nobody, uh, even in the beginning days, who would say, oh, I don't connect with your spirituality or it's too traditional for me or it's too norm-breaking for me because I always talked about taboo topics. It could be sex, could be death, could be you know, tantra. So the taboo topics were well-received but nobody wanted to pay for it at that time. They didn't want, uh, because, you know, now I can, if I connect the dots, I see maybe they thought, okay, he's too young. Maybe uh, why should we pay for this? You know, people don't want to pay for spiritual work. They want, they could pay for anything and everything in life, but they don't want to pay for spiritual work. So I was really observing human behavior there. And I realized that it doesn't matter what kind of people are showing up. They could be people with a lot of money or people with no money, but the ones who will pay for this are those who understand the value of their own life and growth. So it was really a lot of lessons in human behavior, understanding how the energy of money wants to stay, grow and evolve. But throughout this time, I didn't let my relationship with money go bitter. You know, there was no time that I started developing uh, a hateful relationship with money that, oh, I'm not going to be successful enough. I'm not going to have enough money to pay bills and, and you know, just survive in these big cities like New York or Los Angeles. Um, I was very clear that I want to make spirituality uh, very well accessible, elegant, and a very modern, you know, a tool. I don't want people to look at as, as something that worships poverty. Because I do come across a lot of uh, teachers who feel very uncomfortable with money and they think spirituality and poverty should go together. But you cannot meditate if you are, you know, if you don't have money, right? If you cannot pay your rent. And if I tell you, do this mantra for two hours, trust me, you will not be able to do the mantra for two hours because there is constant fear of having this you know, like if you don't have shelter on your head, you can't go deeper into spirituality. You need the financial abundance to grow spiritually. And I am becoming, you know, a, a more and more advocate of this because I come across many new teachers. You know, I've been training new teachers and I clearly see when they start out their work, this is their biggest struggle, uh, how to handle money versus spirituality. But I, I feel you got to heal your relationship with abundance. you got to really understand your relationship with everything that comes under that abundance, not just money, but also the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the, the love, the success, and, the, and affection that you receive from everyone. I love how you worded it, how, you know, they come to you and, and it's just a learning process in general to unlearn how we were taught to suffer. That's really powerful. And that kind of goes along with the actual themes of 
you know, like true or authentic gurus in in its true form and true meaning. So going like kind of shifting more towards the whole guru role and everything. So you grew up watching your dad's work. Um, how do you think that the world um, kind of interprets the work that you do, especially when it comes to the taboo topics? Um, because of everything that has now become I can tell you, mainstream uh, with one thing tantra that I have and spirituality and everything that else. People have been uh, trusting what I'm sharing, and I'm very grateful for that. When I share something, I have always uh, received that trust from people. Uh, you know, even, you know, I, come, I live in LA, so I come across TV producers and all of those, and they they always tell me, oh, we can't put this on mainstream media, but this is such an authentic work. And we, we love how you share about Tantra. And they tell me they are uncomfortable, you know, with putting this traditional work out there because people may not be ready. But if you ask my experience, anyone who's showing up to me, they, they are showing up with complete receptivity. And I feel one of the reason for that could be the growing platforms, you know, where I can share, you know, more of my work, like with, with my podcast, my book, uh, it's out there, it's free of cost, right? The podcast, there's like 78 episodes, all free of cost. And that gives people enough uh, glimpse into my universe, and they can really feel and I think people uh, start to connect with it. Those who don't connect, they don't stay, but those who connect, they stay. But I'm very grateful for the growing tribe in the past, you know, 12 years. It started with, you know, just one person showing up in Long Island. And uh, it has grown uh, a lot since then. And I'm grateful. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. So real quick, if we can just jump off topic. I'm just really interested so you said that um, some of the students that come to you, you can see how they have that struggle that you had as well. Do you feel like a lot of who have actually gone through the same thing and overcome them, um, like the, oh, not to like be cliche, but how like the student finds the teacher um, in the ways that they need them. Um, so do you feel like your students reflect yeah. the lessons you know, that you've been through? Such a good question, um, Sarah. I have been watching actually the kind of they are attracted students to I attract. Uh, and I see many similarities. Like I feel number one element that I see in my students, it could be like, you know, someone like you who's not like official student, but we have been interacting through, you know, Instagram for, for, for a good amount of time. Or it could be someone who's very official student, you know, studying with me every month. The, there are some really common elements. And the number one element is breaking their conditioning, you know, unlearning how they were taught to suffer. And in that unlearning, I think so many factors come in. There is, you know, unlearning uh, the, the whole lessons on, on money that you don't deserve it or unlearning how you were taught to suffer through relationships or breaking the whole pattern of constant karmic contracts that show up again and again. But yes, I do feel, you know, we teach what we need to learn. So the things that I have been really cultivating in my life, courage, growth, liberation, I can see these are the students I attract who are looking for growth, who are looking for liberation. Uh -huh. 
Definitely. I'm so happy that you mentioned the book too, because I want to buy like a thousand copies oh. and just keep handing them out to people. <laughs> I keep finding them on um, thrift oh books, God, so like that. a used book app. And every single time it's available, I hurry up and grab it. And so that and I just keep handing them out to people because, <laughs> and because you, you said that you want to, um, kind of interpret all of this in a modern way so that it suits the modern world what kind of struggles or obstacles have you faced with trying to translate the traditional you know, i could make values like really and verses into Netflix a modern practice like with at least five seasons. for everyone to be able to uh, do it's been funny i used to be surprised i've never been angry i have been surprised and then it, I, I just <laughs> laugh it off it doesn't make people you know some of my students get angry on my behalf and i'm like please don't be angry it's you know it, this is just where we are and there have been struggles and i know the biggest struggle uh, you know is the mind right i teach about mind so i have compassion for those who are not able to go beyond that predefined definition of tantra or meditation and sometimes i i'm asked the same question like you know 50 times in one week uh, i could do a whole workshop on tantra for 3 hours and then someone from the group will show up and will compliment the talk and they'll say, so Tantra is not about sex, right? And I look at them that that's exactly what I've been explaining in the last three hours, but it's funny. Now. It's funny now because I see their mind is not able to let go of that belief, right? They want Tantra to be about <laughs> sex. So they again want that, that you know, confirmation from me directly one-on-one -on -one that Maybe they're hoping I'll say it is about sex, but, you know, I'm just telling people it's not about sex. <laughs> so the struggles have been many, you know, I remember many years ago, I was approached by a spiritual school. They wanted me to do <laughs> trainings for them, talks for them. And I was meeting them in a cafe in, in New York City. And uh, they they liked what I had to say and it was all good. And then they asked me, so just just one more question are you going to wear these kind of clothes when you show up for the talk? I was wearing like a cotton chinos and, and a you know, linen shirt. And I said, yeah, I mean, I wear shirt and pant mostly. Like, why do you want me to wear something else? They said, no, 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 we just want to make sure that this is how you dress up. Because we thought you are, you know, guru, tantra <laughs> guru coming from India. So maybe you'll dress up as, as something different when you do your talks. I said, no, this is just how I dress up. I could show up in jeans. I could show up in these shirts. I mean, I don't put on a costume. They, that This is just who I am. But I, when I shared that story, there were people who got uncomfortable that why would they say to you, this is racist? And I said, it's not racist because when you look out there, you see there are a lot of people in mainstream spirituality who are trying to look spiritual and these are these kind of people, they give out this idea that you have to look spiritual. This is what what is counted as spirituality. And when people meet me, of course, their mind is going to think maybe he also dresses up like them. Maybe he'll show up in some sort of orange clothing like Dalai Lama and uh, we'll just have to deal with it. But, you know, so the, it's these kind of struggles just to explain that this is who I am. There's no other side to me. This is... The person that you see is what you will get there, uh, because I think there is too much of uh, complicated information out there about Tantra, about gurus, about teachers. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's a struggle which is still there. Uh, people have their preconceived notions about 
th- this kind of work but i'm i'm hoping that each day in every way i can break that you know uh, conditioning and pattern in them it's it's really powerful i mean when you go on instagram and you look at mm-hmm. um any account that has the word tantra in its handle it, it really is geared more towards sex and it's really crazy and i know you've talked about this in your book the break break the norms in the podcast and and all the talks and podcasts that you've been featured on so if you could just quickly paraphrase um you know you always say tantra is the science of self-awareness and self-discovery and and just knowing the self and connecting to that if you could paraphrase what it is and i guess how it's been misinterpreted um and also do you feel like the misinterpretations are some sort of uh, like duality that we have to go through in order to like find um, like a middle ground. Like we have to not understand it and then like go totally mm-hmm. on the yeah. opposite end of not understanding. Yeah, I, I like how you said it. You know, sometimes begin to open our minds to what it could really when be. When you are not or... open to a certain teaching, it, it clearly is a sign that somewhere in your heart, somewhere in your awareness, you are blocking the the opening, right? You're suppressing that expansion. It's good to witness that that block. It's good to pay attention to it. If you get rigid about it, then it will keep getting stronger. But if you are ready to listen and, and witness why you are guarding yourself against some sort of spiritual expansion, that's when you, you can expand the blocks. And with Tantra, that's just how it happens. Tantra is you know, it's a science of self-awareness and it, it contains uh, plenty of meditations, mantras, consciousness study. And Tantra is very inclusive. It does not say that you have to, you know, go through some, some sort of layers to be accepted into it. Tantra is for everyone. It's for the homeless person sitting on a street in Hollywood, but it's also for, you know, uh, someone who's working in in government office in China and uh, any culture, any belief system, someone who believes in God, someone who doesn't believe in God, it's for everyone. It's a science of awareness. We all have awareness. And that's where the complications begin because when something, you know, has so much inclusiveness, human mind starts to abuse that. You know, when you come across, uh, let's say you are, you get into a new relationship and you open your heart completely to that person. If that person is not ready, they will abuse this whole connection. They will abuse the love you are giving them. That's what happens with Tantra. It's so open, so generous. And if the other person is not ready, they might just abuse the whole teaching. And that's why the role of teacher, the role of guru is immensely important. It's the teacher who continues to, you know, manage the energy, channel things in a much better way. And uh, they are really your biggest, you know, cheerleader in this process. Uh, but the Western world has their own discomfort with the word tantra. And uh, that's something I feel they need to be more educated on because uh, if you're not comfortable with the word guru or or if you're not comfortable in being guided by a teacher, then your spiritual growth will only uh, to a certain extent, to a certain level. And, and that's, you know, sad. Yeah, definitely. So in your own tantric um, 
journey. I think what um, has been the most the helpful most advice helpful or advice activity for your path has process? been to open up and connecting to the feminine energy within me. I I used to meditate for hours. I got so intense into meditation that uh, as a teenager I would sit all night into meditation. And uh, I started feeling that it's not going anywhere, you know. Obviously I was really becoming very masculine, very aggressive, right? And and in uh, hoping for some sort of change in meditation and that was my masculine energy wanting some sort of final outcome. And it was during that time that my guru told me that it's great. You're showing up so much of devotion, so much of love and so much of uh, commitment, but it won't happen until you embrace the feminine within you because you are, you know, trying to connect with the cosmos, the universe, the divine feminine, and our entire cosmic consciousness is feminine in nature. The entire energy of Tantra is feminine in nature. So to embrace that feminine energy, you have to open up the feminine energy in you, which means be more in receptive to your emotions. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Don't be afraid to trust your breathing. Don't be afraid to express your emotions. You know, all the things that men are basically trained not to do. And uh, that was, I think, extremely helpful advice. And I feel, uh, you know, I've always been writing poetry. And in those days, I used to write it very secretively because poetry is vulnerable. And I didn't want anyone to see what I'm writing. But it gave me uh, just uh, the courage and outlet that I can use my poetry to channel that vulnerability, to channel that sensitivity in me. But that's been the life-changing advice, I think. Oh, I love that so much. What sort of goals or dreams have come to fruition because of you know, this the biggest goal transformation that has come to of embracing that I have, the divine uh, feminine, divine dropped feminine all the goals energy and in you? Stop going behind the goals. And I've started showing up for life as it is. And I really mean it. Like, I haven't had a goal in years. <laughs> I really show up for life as it comes. I have intentions. I plant seeds for certain intentions. Like, for example, I could have intention to express my truth. I have intention to embrace the unknown. I have intention to live my courage. But there's no goal. There's no goal to have my podcast reach out to, you know, certain amount of people. There's no goal to expand my work in, in you know, different countries. They used to be... The, the goals many moons ago, but I'm glad I'm a very goalless guy right now, and I I really like it. Small smiles over here. I love hearing that. It's so inspiring because, I mean, all over the world, but especially, um, you know, in Western society, you're in America as a whole, like the whole American dream. I mean, it, it's in like our country's mm -hmm. slogan mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> to have you know, dreams I and have goals. I grew up uh, in a very small town. I was very ambitious. Uh, I used to else. really read all the biographies of the leaders. And I would read three newspapers every Sunday morning just to make sure what's happening in the world. You know, I live in this small bubble uh, in my, you know, small town in Himalayas. And then I got to New York. I saw the, you know, big buildings, ambition, glamour, wealth, everything was there. And uh, I I started to realize that the goals we have, they are such a tiny expression of our consciousness. There is an entire universe waiting to unfold through us. But we get so stuck on these so-called goals that we never explore that entire universe. 
but i'll tell you if i had any specific goals i would not have been able to be the person that i am today like i am much more receptive intuitive sensitive compassionate creative and it's all happening because i am becoming more and more uh, you know trusting toward the unknown and that whole unknown is is really been a best friend you know in my journey so you have the unknown and you have these unseen forces and of course your father's wisdom and support behind you but what does the rest of your support system look like um not just in your work but in you your know, life honestly, in general and I feel how does it kind of is, nourish no you one has to asked me this keep question. growing in the um, space that you are but i think my support system uh is really is really good i i i'm not good at asking for help i am not good at telling someone that i am i need your help i'm so used to of giving help but i'm not uh used to of asking for help but i'll i'll tell you among the uh, unseen forces like you said the unseen forces and the unknown forces you know the family of course has been a uh, great support but in my spiritual work <laughs> i think the biggest motivating factor is the the students the people who have been you know really giving me this encouragement for so many years you know with your family you're not the guru you're not the teacher you're just chandresh right and they treat you that way and it's so good you want some people in your life who know nothing about your work so that you can just be yourself there and uh, but for me my work is huge driving force so family brings that humbleness that relaxation friends uh, or the people who reach out through podcast through social media they are really big support because they have shared so many personal stories with me every day i get few messages and they would share i read this chapter and i took this decision it changed my life where i heard this podcast and it you know i'm crying it changed my life completely thank you for doing that and i you know had no clue that my work my sharing will have such an impact and that's why i keep encouraging everyone that it doesn't matter uh you know what you are sharing uh, as long as you're sharing that's what matters because it will touch people's life may, you may not know like a very simple thing leaving wall street was not a huge decision for me honestly i i knew that i have to leave it it wasn't a revolutionary thing uh, i faced some criticism i you know and i had to deal with some uh, you know challenges at, at that time but it wasn't something that uh, i had huge struggle with i i would have done it no matter what but that one decision has inspired so many people in my friend circle in my student circle and i'm just amazed that one decision that i took at the age of 21 22 has inspired so many people so and they support me by you know going deeper into their transformation so this is one major support system because see the the truth is you could have the biggest support coming from your family but if your uh, tribe if your tribe is not there for you then you feel lost and you're like for whom i'm doing all of this no one is there to listen right and a singer cannot perform to no audience they can enjoy the singing but at one point you know comes a 
time when they want at least one person to hear their melody because that's why they're creating it. So I feel the support that comes from these strangers, and I hate calling them strangers. I I feel uh, like you and I have never met Sarah, but I have such a deep respect for you. I feel I I know you, but you are the support, you know. So this is how I have been really honoring the support, you know, coming from everyone out there. Ah, uh, I love that. <laughs> it's so, it's just so profound. Um the impact that our choices that feel so natural for us can make. But I've asked this question to quite a few people and it's never that sort of answer. It's never the people that you quote unquote serve that feel like your support system or your tribe or anything like that. So I really love that perspective. Do you feel like that's sort of what you love no, most love, about your life uh, in, I, in this space where you are now or is it something more else than one element. many other things and or... I think even right now I have more than one element you know it's it's bunch of factors uh, you know besides the family and the support system coming from the tribe I feel uh, the music the poetry the nature I I have to indulge in these experiences on a daily basis uh, I have to listen to some song it could be in any language, but, it, you know, I, I, by the way, I love listening to songs in different languages because you don't understand the meaning, but they are taking you somewhere. And that feeling is beautiful. It's very, you know, strange feeling that a song of different language, different culture, it's just pulling you in. Uh, and my YouTube uh, algorithm knows me now. So they keep recommending me the songs from different languages. <laughs> So it's that factor. Plus, I think that being in the nature, I do not skip any day <laughs> of walking or running out there, um, you know, just connecting with poetry, reading or writing. Uh, it's very healing for me. And uh, I don't need uh, a lot of gathering around me. I'm very, you know, private introvert in that sense. I live in LA, but and I live in, in like heart of Hollywood, which is surrounded by parties and clubs. Uh, but I cannot go there. Like if you, you will never see me in a in a crowded gathering because by the time uh, you are about to see me, I would have run away from there. <laughs> I go there to show my face if I have to, and that's like once in a year. Uh, but yeah, that, I, that's the only thing I I have <laughs> realized that it's not at all my jungle. You know, being in social gatherings. <laughs> I definitely, I can relate to that. I can also relate to the music. I, I think, um, you know, how Spotify gives uh, you your year roundup and nice. it's always like how many countries you've had music um, from on your playlists. Mm. And my goal is to, oh, wow. Oh yeah. And my goal for this year is to get over a hundred. Cause last year I was at like 70 some. And it's, it's so true though. You right. have, this music that you don't it understand is, what they're right? saying, but Absolutely. you can feel every bit of it. <laughs> and like you said, it's a journey. Yeah. Okay. So we'll get kind of back on track now. <laughs> so do you have any future plans coming up? Of course, you know, we're going through the pandemic and everything, but if you have any um, sort of plans that you'd like to share, that would be awesome. So or in, how people now, can uh, find your work, the like how you do the being um, every meditations week. and stuff uh, like and that. And I invite everyone to listen to that. There is live meditation happening on my Instagram every Sunday. 
you know, everyone is welcome to join that. In addition to that, there's a book out there, Break the Norms. And I'm working on uh, an online school, uh, which should be ready with its first meditation offering in a few months. Uh, but that's what the tribe has gifted me with. When you ask me who's your biggest support system, the reason I mentioned my tribe is because it's because of their love, their acceptance of me, that I was able to you know, work on this online school. Uh, and it's going to be out in a few months. And I feel why I give them the credit, because whenever I have interacted with the big groups, you know, could be publishing, could be media groups, they always have this, you know, hesitation that, oh, he's, you know, he comes from, uh, he has a certain accent, certain color. Is he going to be accepted? Is his work going to be accepted? It's traditional tantra. Is there a market for it? So all of these inquiries drain you and exhaust you. But when the tribe keeps telling you that we want more from you, that's what gives you confidence. And I'm so grateful that they gave me the courage to work on this online school, which should be out uh, by the beginning of next year, 2021. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Amazing. That's mm -hmm. so exciting. Congratulations. Oh, okay, so I just have one last question. I love asking this question. Um, I think it's good to be asked, but also for everybody listening to ask themselves. So superhero question inside is, me, who I is think the superhero inside of you that of has all the power I, you could ever need? I connect with lions a lot. I think my superhero has been Lion uh, in Jungle, who's carefree at times, but whose presence radiates a lot of strength, a lot of grace, a lot of power. And, but Lion is also intuitively very connected and uh, they have a way of uh, just changing the energy when they walk into a place. So as a, as a self-obsessed Leo, I'll just say Lion is my superhero. <laughs> and that's the end of this episode. I have so much gratitude for Chandrash coming on and sharing his story despite all the difficulties that we had trying to do so. And I'm excluding so much thanks for you guys to still be listening. Um, thanks for hanging with us throughout all the difficulties. And like I said, I hope you found some gold within this episode. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, I love you. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope that this episode has some way inspired you to take control, given you the tools to feel secure and on fire in your own independence, and help to unlock within you the impact that you're here to make. You're not born with a purpose. You're born as your purpose. It's already inside of you, and it's your responsibility in this life to live that in the truest way possible. If you've gotten any sort of value out of this episode, please share it so that we can together expand our inspiration and our impact in this world.